And I'm Ash. Welcome to Crime Potatoes Podcast. Grab your snacks, get comfy, and let's get to it. Welcome back to another episode. Woohoo. I feel like I say that every time. Woohoo. Nobody says that, Kenzie. Just I know I'm not cool. It's fine. Apparently you do. It's okay. Um, today's snack for my lineup, I have nerd clusters. Surprise, surprise. 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 And then I have a that's it bar and then some strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper. I don't know what the that's it bar is. Um, I get these from Costco in bulk, and they're just like mini little fruit bars, um, and they only have two ingredients in it, or three ingredients, I think. Oh, yeah, two ingredients. So it's like, that's it. That's all the ingredients. Uh, so this one has apples and strawberries, and it's just like a little fruit, fruit bar. I don't know how to explain it. Nice. Yeah. So you're like a third way being healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper, nerd clusters, and then my healthy little bite-sized that's it bar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're doing good. Well, my I'm kind of having lunch, and I'm eating uh, frozen chimichangas. <laughs> and then my diet Dr. Pepper, hey, of course. you gotta do what you gotta do. That, was actually, that sounds really good. <laughs> Dude, I love frozen chimichangas so much. They are good. I love frozen chimichangas too. So anyways. All right. So before we get started, I also wanted to let you guys know that we will take be taking a little break just for a week um, since Christmas is on next Monday um, when we usually release our episodes. We just wanted to take a break and focus on family, but we will be back the next week for another brand new episode. So don't worry. We're not going away forever. Just one week, guys. You can do it. Just a week. And Sylvie is whining and has to go at pee. <laughs> that was quick. I know. She's good. She literally whines. I let her out. She'll go and pee and then comes right back in. Good girl, Sylvie. Nice. Yes. All right. And we're back. <laughs> I'm so dumb. It's fine. And we're live in three, two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's my turn this week. And I am doing the case of Mary Bell. Do you know who that is? It sounds familiar, but off the top of my head, I can, I don't know. Okay. Well, before we get started, I am going to give a trigger warning to our listeners. Uh, This case does involve children in all aspects. And um, when we get to the more, I guess, graphic part of the episode, I will again let you know that there is a trigger warning so that if you'd like to fast forward a minute, then you can. So my case sources are allthatsinteresting.com, Wikipedia, and Murderpedia. Are monsters born or made? 
I know we've all had this question when reading Frankenstein in school, or at least I remember reading Frankenstein in school. Did you, Ash? I don't think I did, no. Well, never mind then. Maybe some of our listeners have, but this case definitely leaves you wondering again, are monsters born or made that way? So today we are going over to England in Newcastle, and we are going back to the 1960s. Mary Flora Bell was born May 26, 1957, to 16-year-old sex worker Betty McCricket. It is said that after giving birth, doctors tried to hand Betty her daughter, but she yelled at them to, quote, take that thing away from me, end quote. Mary was an unwanted and neglected child. Her mother was both mentally and physically abusive towards her. Her father, or who was believed to be her father, William Bell, was also very abusive towards Mary and was known as a violent drunk and habitual criminal. But that's about all that is found on him. Betty once sold Mary to a mentally ill woman who couldn't have children. Luckily, Betty's older sister Catherine reclaimed Mary from the woman and brought her back home to Betty. How old was she at the time when? Um, I believe she was like a year old at that time, so not very old. That is so sad. Yeah, yeah, and it just gets worse, unfortunately. According to Betty, Mary was extremely accident prone. And for those that can't see me, obviously, <laughs> uh, I am air quoting accident prone. So as a toddler, Mary allegedly fell from a first story window and another time accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills. Despite all the abuse and feelings towards Mary, Betty refused repeated offers from her family to take custody of Mary. Mary would later claim that her mother began using her for sex work at just four years old. But that is uncooperated, so it may or may not be true. I, I don't even... My heart kind of hurts. Yeah. But, I mean... Well, your heart is probably going to hurt a lot by the time we get through this. For everyone involved. <sighs> oh, I'm no. sorry. It's okay. <sighs> As Mary got older, her behavior became unpredictable and disturbing, leaving other kids reluctant to be around her. It is said that Mary suffered from mood swings and chronic bedwetting, which, side note, chronic bedwetting can be a symptom, I guess you can say, of sexual abuse. Um, she was also a fighter. She was constantly getting into fights with other kids, both girls and boys, and many claims from other kids that Mary would attempt to strangle them or suffocate them. On one occasion, it is said that Mary even tried to block the airway of a young girl with sand. Mary did seem to have one friend, though, her next-door neighbor, 13-year-old Norma Bell. Though they have the same last name, there is no, rela no relation whatsoever. But 
by the age of 10, Mary had become withdrawn, manipulative, and violent. So we are up to when Mary Bell was 10 years old. So she would, what year would this be now? So we are in 1968. Okay. Yep. So we're in 1968 and this takes place just before her birthday. And then it will also take place just after her birthday. Okay. So she is 10 and then 11 years old. Okay. So on May 11th, 1968, Mary Bell was playing with a three-year-old boy when he became badly injured after an apparent fall from the top of an air raid shelter. Believing it really was an accident, the boy's parents thought nothing of it. However, the next day, three different mothers came forward and told police that Mary had attempted to choke their daughters. After talking with Mary about the accusations, no charges were filed, and they only gave Mary a stern lecture on her actions. And this would prove fatal. May 25th, 1968, just one day before turning 11 years old, Mary lured four-year-old Martin Brown into an abandoned house and strangled him to death. Mary left to go get Norma to show her what she had done. But when the girls arrived back to the house, two local boys were already there and had found little Martin Brown's body. Police were baffled by what they found. Besides a small bit of blood and saliva on the victim's face, there were no obvious signs of violence. And while collecting evidence, an empty bottle of painkillers was found near the body and had the police assuming Martin Brown swallowed the pills. His death was then ruled an accident. Just days after Martin's death, Mary showed up at his family home asking to see Martin. Thinking that Mary had no idea, Martin's mother gently explained to Mary that Martin was dead. Mary smiled back and simply said to her that she already knew Martin was dead and she just wanted to see his body in the coffin. Taken by surprise, his mother answered by slamming the door in Mary's face. That just, like, gives me the chills. Like, an 11-year-old just, like, Mm -hmm. being so violent like this. And again, it gets worse. I I mean, I I felt so bad for her, and I guess I I do still feel bad for, like, her upbringing and stuff. But, like, that's no excuse to, like, what you're doing to other people. No, I agree. Okay. After Martin Brown's funeral... Mary and Norma broke into a nursery school and vandalized it with notes taking responsibility for Martin's death and promising to kill again. So I could tell you exactly what all the notes said, um, but some of them are a little vulgar with language, but we will post some of the pictures of them onto our Instagram page. um, The ones that aren't vulgar, I guess. Um, But yeah. Mary was not shy about what she'd done and liked telling her classmates all about how she was the one who killed Martin Brown. But because she had a reputation for being a show-off and a liar, no one took her seriously. And now we're to July 31st, 1968. Two months after killing Martin Brown, Mary would strike again. 
Only this time, she convinced Norma to be an accomplice, and they strangled three-year-old Brian Howe to death. Now I'm going to stop right here and give a trigger warning because some of the details going forward are pretty graphic and just devastating. So, trigger warning. After Brian Howe was dead, Mary took a pair of broken scissors and a razor blade and mutilated his little body, scratching his thighs and butchering his penis and carving the letter M into his torso. When Brian's sister went out looking for him, Mary volunteered herself and Norma to help search. They helped look all over the neighborhood Mary did try to get his sister to look behind a pile of concrete blocks where she hid Brian's body, but Norma told her that he wouldn't be there, so they moved on without looking. When Brian Howe's body was finally found, it sent the neighborhood into a panic, and the police began wondering if maybe Martin Brown's death wasn't an accident after all. So they began interviewing kids around the neighborhood, including Mary and Norma, hoping that the kids had seen something or someone that would lead them to a suspect. But the police were in for a shock when they got the coroner's report back on Brian Howe. The report revealed the M cut into his torso and stated that the lack of force in the strangulation suggested the killer was most likely a child. Oh, immediately. Like, being a parent um, in the community and learning that it was a child who did this, I mean, I'd be freaked out before, but I'd be really freaked out now because it could be literally anyone that your child has been playing with or around any day, all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Oh, I can't imagine being a parent during this. Yeah, and the the what she did to his little body, like it's just she's eleven years old. It's just insane to me. Yeah, she shouldn't. I I don't even. Mm. Yeah, she's so young, and like the what she did, and yeah, that she even like thought about it is just unbelievable to me. We, I mean, I'm trying to think like when I was eleven years old, I. <laughs> I don't think I would have ever even thought of anything close to that. Not saying that I was a perfect little angel, you know, but um, being 11 years old, you still have, I feel like, a lot of innocence. And that's just, like, horrific. Like, I don't even know. I can't even imagine being that young and thinking about stuff like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Duh. All right. Let's go on. On the day of Brian's funeral, a detective witnessed Mary Bell outside of the Howe's home laughing and rubbing her hands together upon seeing the coffin. Noting this behavior, officers decided to bring Mary in for another interview. This time, Mary made up a story about seeing an eight-year-old boy hit Brian on the day he died. She also said that the boy had been carrying a pair of broken scissors. And that was Mary's mistake. The mutilation of the body with scissors had been kept from the public, a detail that only investigators and Brian's killer would know. On August 4, 1968, 
Norma Bell decided to come clean and told the police what she knew about Brian's death. With Norma's confession, the police again questioned Mary, who this time claimed she was there, but blamed it all on Norma. When forensic evidence revealed that gray fibers found on both Martin and Brian's bodies came from a woolen dress owned by Mary, both Mary and Norma were arrested and charged, and a trial date was set. Both girls underwent psychological evaluations, and afterwards, four different psychiatrists concluded that Norma, though 13 years old, was intellectually delayed and had a mind of an eight-year-old. She had a submissive character who easily showed emotion. And then Mary. Mary was bright, yet cunning, and had a manipulative character and was prone to sudden mood swings. The four psychiatrists also agreed that Mary seemed to suffer from psychopathic personality disorder. And I looked that up to see what that meant, um, to see exactly what that meant. And according to PMC, the PubMed Central, quote, Psychopathy is a disorder characterized in part by shallow emotional responses, lack of empathy, impulsivity, and an increased likelihood for antisocial behavior, end quote. While awaiting trial, Mary Bell told a guard, quote, Murder isn't that bad. We all die sometimes anyway, end quote. That is horrible. And again, at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Mm -hmm. it's so sad, honestly. Right? Again, only 11. She's a baby herself. Yeah. Like, in the end, Norma Bell was acquitted. The jury felt that she was an unwilling accomplice who fell under a bad influence. Mary Bell was convicted of manslaughter. After psychiatrists convinced the jury that Mary showed, quote, classic signs of psychopathy and could not be held fully responsible for her actions, end quote. However, the judge felt that Mary was obviously a dangerous person and an obvious threat to other children. He sentenced her to be imprisoned at Her Majesty's pleasure. And Her Majesty's pleasure is a British legal term. That means an indeterminate sentence. So just whenever the courts feel that she can be rehabilitated, I guess. So, Which has got to be frustrating for the parents mm-hmm. um, of the victims. Like, oh, I don't know. I just, how horrible. Yeah. I, well, and I wish I could put like everything that mary bell had said during her interviews because they have a lot of like um oh my gosh information of that and it's just insane because again she's 11 years old and the things that she says is like no 11 year old should know to say these things yeah or it shouldn't even cross their minds yeah Mary Bell impressed the courts with her treatment and rehabilitation, so much so that she was released after only serving 12 years. So she was released at age 23. However, she was released on license 
meaning that she was technically still serving her sentence, but allowed to do so living within the community, but under strict probation. She was provided with a new identity to help her have a chance at a new life and protect her from the tabloids. After having her own daughter in 1984 and an intense encounter with journalists, Mary Bell, along with her common-law husband and daughter, were taken into protective custody at a secret address. And as of 2003, Mary Bell and her daughter remain anonymous and are protected under court order. Many people, including Martin Brown's mother, believe that Mary doesn't deserve the protection of anonym anonymity. That's what I have. So after reading that, I feel like are monsters made or are they born? Yeah, no, that's a hard one. Like, I mean, first off, I am really surprised she only got, what was that, 10 years? Like, that's crazy to me. I mean, even 12 years, even under like strict probation, just like how intense like her murder like the murders were and how young she was like oh that that terrifies me um well and but, like she wanted to see the bodies too and she never felt any remorse she laughed at kids that were hurt she laughed at the families like um i i didn't put this in there but she left like taunting notes on the families at the family's homes about the murders that is just so cruel and like mm -hmm. unthinkable i don't i like i want to feel so bad for her because of her up upbringing like i i can't imagine like how hard that must have been and how horrible like yeah but going back again that doesn't give you an excuse to go and commit murders and do the things that she was yeah. doing it's I don't know. No, and I honestly think that it, it it's kind of both. I think if under a if she was raised in a better home and more loving home, that even if she would have ended up with a, a what is it psychopath personality disorder? Oh yeah, she would have been in a better place to be able to get the help that she needed you know so I think yeah. it's a bit of both but in it she actually did an interview and there is a book oh, I can't remember the book I wanted to get it to read it to um get information because it's uh done through by Mary Bell through a, a journalist and Mary even says to the journalist um she says my I will never say that what I did was right and my upbringing does not excuse what I've done. That makes me feel... But I've gotten the help that I need. Yeah, that makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, still, I mean, it's 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 a very hard... It's still, she was 11 and it's just... Yeah, but I mean, at least she's like kind of realizing like there is no excuse for what she did that... Hopefully, I mean, I can't say because I'm not the family, but hopefully that brings like a little bit of peace to the family that 
she is getting the help she needs and hopefully it won't happen again or didn't happen again. Um, as far as I could find, they aren't happy. They think that she still should be in prison and they don't think she should even be in protective custody right now because she is living um, yeah, that's fair. with a, a different identity. Um, no one knows where she's at. Um, she would be in okay. her late 60s. Yeah, that would be. Now, I I, so. I totally get that. Because, like, especially if she was, like, in my community, you know, I would want to know exactly, you know, I'd want to know backgrounds and stuff. Like, so I know who to trust and everything. But mm-hmm. so that I totally understand. It's, yeah, it would be yeah so like, hard. you can kind of get both sides because you understand the feelings of the victim's families. But then again, because of her past and that she has been rehabilitated, she is trying to remain peaceful and move on. Not saying that like what she did was okay at all, but she's trying to work through it herself that being in protective custody maybe is the only way she can do so. But I don't know. It's really hard. It's one of those cases that you're like so angry about and it's such a double-edged sword. Well, good job, Kent. That definitely going to be thinking about that for like the next couple weeks. (laughs) Thanks. Sorry. Okay. So this is the case that I kind of became a little obsessed with in high school and for a theater class we had to write a one act play that was like 20 minutes long or something. I wrote it about Mary Bell. <laughs> That's kind of scary because you were a very dark teenager. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was terrifying. You guys. I was, <laughs> I was, but it was also in the middle of my beginning obsession of criminal minds. So I think it was the psychology yeah. part of it that attracted me to the case i guess like of how a freaking 10 11 year old girl could do something like that but yeah so fun fact you'll have to do a little i still have it too i still have the play Instagram or something no <laughs> no <laughs> maybe i'll give you some screenshots of it or something we'll I'd see i'd appreciate that <laughs> okay <laughs> well yes Thank you for listening. And again, we will be taking a break next week for Christmas, but we will be back um, the week after or after for a brand new episode. Yes. yes. We'll miss you. We will. I hope you'll miss us. I hope you all have such a merry, happy Christmas and stay safe, potatoes. Bye. Bye.